Section 12 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 The Evidence from Rudimentary Organs, Part 1. In the exercise of his scientific attainments, there is one aspect in which the naturalist of today bears a certain likeness to the detective officer. The latter is perpetually endeavoring to strike the trail of the offender through his dexterity in the discovery of clues to the movements of the pursued, and attains his end most surely and speedily when the traces he has selected are of trustworthy kind. The naturalist, on his part, has frequently to follow the history of an animal or plant, or it may be that of a single organ or part in either, through a literal maze of difficulties and possibilities. His search after the relationship of an animal may be fraught with as great difficulty as that which attends the discovery of a missing heir or lost relative in actual life. And his success in his mission is found to depend, as that of the detective's work, simply on the excellence and trustworthiness of the clues he possesses, and on the judicious use to which he puts his information received. It cannot be denied, however, that modern aspects of science and present-day tendencies in research have largely increased the resemblance between the enforced duties of the criminal investigator and the self-imposed task of the biologist. When formerly the order of nature was regarded as being of unaltering kind and of stable constitution, naturalists regarded animals and plants simply as they existed. There was of old no looking into the questions of biology in the light of what might have been, because the day was not yet when change and evolution were regarded as representing the true order of the world. When, however, the idea that the universe, both of living and non-living matter, had an ordered past dawned upon the minds of scientists, the necessity for tracing that past was forced upon them as a bounden duty. With no written history to guide them, the scientific searchers were forced to read the sermons in stones which nature had delivered ages ago. Without clear and unmistaken records to point the way, they had to seek for clues and traces to nature's meaning in the structure and development of animals and plants, and as frequently happens in commonplace history, the earnest searcher often found a helping hand where he least thought it might appear, and frequently discovered an important clue in a circumstance or object of the most unlikely kind. Readers whose tastes are not materially scientific have doubtless heard much of missing links of nature, especially in connection with the gaps which exist between the human territory and ape-land. Indeed, the phrase has come to be understood as applying almost entirely and specifically to the absence of connecting forms between man and the apes, forms for which, in one sense, no necessity exists, inasmuch as Mr. Darwin's theory does not demand that the gorilla or any of his compeers should be directly connected with man. The gorilla, with his nearest relation, lives, so to speak, at the top of his own branch in the great tree of life, whilst man exists at the top of another, higher, and entirely different bough. The connection between the human and lower types is made theoretically to exist at some lower part of the stem when, from a common ancestor, the human and ape types took divergent roads and ways towards the ranks of nature's aristocracy. But although in some cases the need for missing links is seen, even theoretically, to be non-existent, or at least of a widely different nature from that supposed by the popular mind, 
there are yet cases in which that need is very apparent and wherein through the persistent tracing of the clues nature has afforded the past history of more than one race of animals and plants has been made plain and apparent of such clues which are really mere traces and nothing more there are no better examples than the curious fragments of structures found in many animals and plants and named rudimentary organs an animal or plant is thus found to possess a mere trace of an organ or part which so far as the highest exercise of human judgment may decide is of not the slightest utility to the being it is invariable in its presence and as fixed in its uselessness it bears no relation to the existing life or wants of the animal but may in some cases as for example in a certain little rudimentary pocket in man's digestive system serving as an inconvenient receptacle for plum stones and like foreign bodies prove a source of absolute disadvantage or even danger on what theory can the presence of such organs and parts be accounted for is a question of extremely natural kind the replies at the command of intelligent humanity are but two either the animal was created with the useless appendage in question a supposition which includes the idea that nature after all is somewhat of a bungler and that nothing further or more comprehensible than the fiat it is so can be said on the subject or secondly we may elect to explain the puzzle by the assertion that the rudimentary organ of the existing animal represents a part once fully developed in that animal's remote ancestors but now dwindled to the shortest span the rudimentary organ or appendage is regarded by evolution as being represented in the animal or plant of today as a legitimate heritage derived from its ancestor it is in short a family feature to which the living being is the rightful heir but which has fallen through the operation of natural laws and conditions into disuse and has accordingly suffered in the career of living nature down the ringing grooves of change necessarily this second and rational explanation of the rudimentary appendages of animals and plants is founded on the supposition that nature and nature's creatures are continually undergoing alterations and that they have been modified in the past as they will be in all time to come the explanation thus afforded of the nature and origin of these disused parts is endorsed by the fuller knowledge of their history whilst from a study apparently of insignificant interest may be shown how certain of our living neighbors along with ourselves have from lower states and from the dawning epochs of the world literally taken their place in the foremost files of time as most persons who have attentively looked at any common plant can tell four parts are included in a perfect flower these parts or sets of organs as seen in the wallflower consist firstly of an outer covering colored green and named the calyx then comes the blossom or flower itself forming the corolla inside the corolla we find certain stalked organs each bearing a little head or anther filled with a yellow dust the pollen these organs are the stamens lastly in the centre of the flower we note the pistil or organ devoted to the production of ovules the latter when duly fertilized by being brought into contact with the pollen of the stamens become seeds and are capable of growing up when planted into new plants now the botanist will inform us that it is a matter of common experience 
to find some individual plants of a species with well-developed petals or blossoms and other individuals of the same species with petals in a rudimentary condition thus proving that the production of imperfect parts in flowers occurs as an ordinary event under our own eyes and under the common conditions of plant life the natural order of plants to which snapdragon belongs presents a peculiarity inasmuch as in most of its members one of the five stamens is abortive or rudimentary it should be borne in mind that the botanist possesses a highly interesting and exact method of ascertaining how many parts or organs should be represented in plants he places his reliance in this respect on the working of what may be called the law of symmetry the operation of this law which may be said to be founded on wide experience tends to produce a correspondence in numbers between the parts in the four sets of organs of which we have just noted a flower to be composed thus when we count five parts in the green calyx of a plant we expect to find five blossoms or petals in its corolla five stamens or some multiple of five and five parts or some multiple of that number in the pistil where there appears to be a lack of this numerical correspondence the botanist concludes that some violation of the law of symmetry has taken place and that some parts or organs which should normally have been developed have been altered or suppressed his reasoning in fact proceeds on the plain basis of first establishing through experience the normal number and condition of parts in the flower of any given order of plants and of thereafter accounting by suppression or non-development for the absence of parts he expected to have been represented now in the snapdragon tribe we find as a general rule five parts in the calyx five petals in the corolla but only four stamens such a condition of matters is well seen in the flower of frog's mouth antirrhinium where we find four stamens two being long and two short as the complement of the flower we account for the absence of a fifth stamen by saying it is abortive and the rudiment of this missing stamen may also be found in the flower but a natural reflection arises at this point in the form of the query have we any means of ascertaining if our expectation that a fifth stamen should be developed is rational and well founded may not the plant in other words have been created so fortunately for science nature gives us a clue to the discovery of the truth in this as in many other cases in one genus of these plants scrofularia we find a rudiment of a fifth stamen and in snapdragon itself this fifth stamen becomes occasionally developed whilst another plant of the order verbascum possesses five stamens as its constant provision unless therefore we are to maintain that nature is capricious beyond our utmost belief we are rationally bound to believe that the rudimentary fifth stamen of scrofularia and the absent fifth stamen of other plants of its order present us with an example of modification and suppression respectively the now rudimentary stamen is the representative of an organ once perfect and fully developed in these flowers and which is perpetuated by the natural law of inheritance until conditions to be hereafter noticed shall have caused it to entirely disappear the case for the natural modification and that against the imperfect creation of such flowers is proved by an ingenious experiment of colruters upon plants which have the stamens and pistils situated in different plants 
instead of being contained in the same flower as is ordinarily the case some staminate or stamen possessing flowers had the merest rudiment of the pistil developed whilst another set had a well-developed pistil when these two species were crossed in their cultivation the hybrids or mule progeny thus produced evinced a marked increase in the development of the abortive organ this experiment not only proved that under certain conditions the rudimentary pistil could be improved and bettered but also confirmed the identity of the two pistils and the high probability that the abortive organ in the one flower was simply the degraded representative of the well-developed part of the other as a final example of the manner in which we receive clues toward the explanation of the modifications of flowers the case of the wallflower is somewhat interesting this plant and its neighbors possess the parts of the flower in fours there are four sepals and four petals whilst six stamens are developed the pistil possessing only two parts here the law of symmetry would lead us to expect either four stamens or eight the latter number being a multiple of four the clue to this modification is found in the arrangement of the stamens we find that four of the wallflower stamens are long whilst two are short the four stamens form a regular inner series or circle the two short stamens being placed in a somewhat solitary fashion outside the others this condition of matters points probably to the suppression of two of an originally complete outer row of four stamens and we receive a clue concerning the probability of this view by finding that in some other flowers of the wallflower group the stamens may be numerous it is proper to mention that other explanations of the existence of two short outer stamens and cruciferi are known to botanists that here given appears however to be equally acceptable with more elaborate theories of this condition it is hardly within the scope of the present chapter to say anything regarding the causes of the conditions or of the agencies through which the modifications of plants are wrought out suffice it to remark that the law of use and disuse of organs explains the majority of such cases by asserting that organs become degraded when they are no longer found to be useful to the economy of their possessors the degradation of a part is to be looked upon as subservient to the welfare of the animal or plant as a whole and thus comes to be related to the great law of adaptation in nature which practically ordains that whatever is is right the animal world presents us however with more obvious and better marked examples of rudimentary organs than are exhibited by the modifications of flowers conspicuous as many of these latter instances undoubtedly are turning our attention first to lower life we find amongst insects some notable and instructive illustrations of abortive organs and also of the ways and means through which the rudimentary conditions have been attained in the beetle order the natural or common condition of the wings which in insects typically number four is that whereby the first pair becomes converted into hardened wing cases beneath which the hinder and useful wings are concealed when at rest now in some species of beetles we may meet with certain individuals with normally developed wings whilst in other individuals of the species we find the wings to be represented by the merest rudiments which lie concealed beneath wing cases the latter being actually firmly and permanently united together in such a case the modification has been extreme 
but there can be no doubt that the ancestors of the beetles with modified wings possessed fully developed appendages otherwise we must regard the order of nature as being one long string of strange and incoherent paradoxes mr darwin has given us some instructive hints regarding the modification of beetles wings and feet in his remarks on the effects of the use and disuse of parts in the animal economy kirby the famous authority on entomology long ago noted the fact that in the males of many of the dung beetles the front feet were habitually broken off mr darwin confirms the observation of kirby and further says that in one species anitis apellus the feet are so habitually lost that the insect has been described as not having them in the sacred beetle atucus of the egyptians the tarsi are not developed at all mr darwin remarks that necessarily we cannot as yet lay overmuch stress upon the transmission of accidental mutilations from parent to progeny although indeed there is nothing improbable in the supposition and moreover brown sacard noted that in the young of guinea pigs which had been operated upon the mutilations were reproduced epilepsy artificially produced in these latter animals is inherited by their progeny hence says darwin quote, it will perhaps be safest to look at the entire absence of the anterior tarsi or feet in atucus and their rudimentary condition in some other genera not as cases of inherited mutilations but as due to the effects of long-continued disuse for as many dung-feeding beetles are generally found with their tarsi lost this must happen in early life therefore the tarsi cannot be of much importance or be much used by these insects unquote. the beetles of madeira present us with a remarkable state of matters which very typically illustrates how rudimentary wings may have been produced in insects two hundred beetles out of over five hundred species known to inhabit madeira are so far deficient in wings that they cannot fly a twenty-nine genera confined to the island twenty-three genera include species wholly unable to wing their way through the air now beetles are frequently observed to perish when blown out to sea and the beetles of madeira lie concealed until the storm ceases the proportion of wingless beetles is said by mr wollaston to be larger in the exposed desertos than in madeira itself whilst most notable is the fact that several extensive groups of beetles which are numerous elsewhere which fly well and which absolutely require the use of their wings are almost entirely absent from madeira how may the absence of wings in the madeiran beetles be accounted for let mr darwin reply quote, several considerations make me believe that the wingless condition of so many madeira beetles is mainly due to the action of natural selection combined probably with disuse for during many successive generations each individual beetle which flew least either from its wings having been ever so little less perfectly developed or from indolent habit will have had the best chance of surviving from not being blown out to sea and on the other hand those beetles which most readily took the flight would oftenest have been blown to sea and thus destroyed unquote. an instinct of laziness so to speak alone or aided by a shortness of wing developed stay-at-home habits and such habits would necessarily tend towards the survival and increase of wingless forms other madeiran insects such as butterflies moths and flower-feeding beetles have well-developed wings or possess wings relatively larger than they exhibit elsewhere 
This observation, remarks Mr. Darwin, is quite in consistency with the theory of the law of natural selection which favors the survival of the fittest. Quote, for when a new insect first arrived on the island, the tendency of natural selection to enlarge or reduce the wings would depend on whether a greater number of individuals were saved by successfully battling with the winds or by giving up the attempt, and rarely or never flying. Unquote. End of section 12. Chapter 5. The Evidence from Rudimentary Organs, Part 1.